0: So the past couple of weeks we've talked about what it means to become a worshipper. That worshiping God is definitely one of the, the the first steps in discipleship is that we have to be willing to enter into his presence. We have to be willing to acknowledge the the otherness that is God that that we are worshiping, you know, God, creator of heaven and earth. That life is about more than what we see and experience that that God is real, and he deserves and is worthy of our worship. And if we can't bring ourselves to worship him, we're really not going to do any of the other steps in in, in discipleship. It, It really begins with worship. But it can't stop with just worship. And so our first step in our discipleship process that I want us to understand as a church is that we must become a worshiper, but there's a second step in this process in which we become a student of Scripture and prayer. And the, the two go together. If, if we read Scripture a lot but we don't talk to God, or if we talk to God a lot and we don't read Scripture, then, then we kind of don't get the, the best of what we need from each of them. Because reading scripture is hearing, I mean, what do we call the Bible? It is the word of God. We are hearing the words of God. Reading the Bible in many ways is a conversation with God. You know, how many parents out there like to repeat themselves to their kids? Don't you love it? It's fun. And so one of the things to understand about scripture is people say, well, it's a conversation. How is it a conversation? These are words on a page from, you know, thousands of years ago. How is this a conversation? Well, because most of what God wants to tell us, He's already told us. He already said it. About 90% of everything you're going to need in life to hear from God has already been said and has been recorded. So God doesn't need to speak again. We just need to go read and understand what He said and apply it. And then, as I said, it's about 90%. There's about 10% in our lives that we need to hear from God. You know, hey, God, should I accept this job or this job? What kind of career path? Hey, should I marry this person? You know, you don't go to the Bible and see, you know, first marriages, you know, eight twelve. Yes, marry this person. You know, it doesn't exist. And so we pray, we ask God for guidance in some of these things in life. But most of what God wants us to know, of what he would say to us, if we are confused in life, and we, you know, we're going to God, say, God, tell me what to do. What is it? He's like, I've already said it. And so sometimes we go to God in prayer, and we get silence, and we think that it's maybe God ignoring us, or maybe he's just not answering, when the truth is he already answered it. And he already answered it maybe thousands of years ago, and he's like, oh, you've got your answer. And so no, God many times is not going to repeat himself. He's going to point us back to his word. And so for us to be disciples of Jesus Christ, we have to, we we must, it is imperative, we become a student of this word. And when I say a student, I mean it's, we learn to study it, we learn to interact with it, we learn to engage with it throughout the rest of our lives. It's not just, hey, I read the Bible once, I think I got it. It's that it becomes a foundational part of our lives as we interact with God. And so step two in our discipleship process is become a student of Scripture and prayer. And one of the things that happens as we learn the Scripture, we really learn it, we take it to heart, we allow it to become a part of us, is we are freed by the truth. And this is one of the greatest powers that we had. This is one of the things that Scripture does that nothing else in this world can do. Worship will tiptoe into this area because, I've already said last week, we we engage the truth, we teach the truth, we sing about the truth. But worship will never engage the truth at the level of the study of the Word of God. And unfortunately today, I believe many people want to substitute that. They like the feelings. They like the emotion. They like the, the, the feel of worship. And yes, many of the songs we sing have incredible truth in them. They have incredible depth in, in a lot of ways. And so we learn these truths of God. But I'm telling you, you will never through a, a worship session encounter and engage the truth the way you will by studying the Scripture there there is no substitute there. And so for us to be a disciple. Now what when I say a disciple, what do I mean by that? A disciple is a person who follows their teacher, okay? They have a rabbi, a teacher, uh, an example, and, you know, a master that they follow and they don't just follow him and like, oh yeah, I I kind of agree with what he says. So I, you know, I kind of attached to him. A disciple is a person that was willing to trade in every part of their own thoughts on life to adopt those of their master. Which means the master's value system, the master's philosophy on life, what the master said was important, what the ma- all of it. It wasn't unusual in Jesus' day when a rabbi had his disciples. This was a normal occurrence. So when Jesus had these disciples, nobody was like, that's weird. These guys are all following him around. That was a normal thing in that day. But if... If the rabbi had a limp, it was not uncommon to see these 12, 13 guys following behind them limping, even though they didn't have to, because they were so fixated on trying to copy everything that their master did. That's what it meant to be a disciple of someone, was that you, you absorbed everything about them into your own identity that you could. Now, for us to be disciples of Jesus Christ, that means that we allow His Word to reign supreme over anything we think, feel, or see to be true that is contrary to it. To be disciples means that we not only believe in Jesus, but we believe Jesus and believe what He believed. It means we adopt Him and everything about Him as the foundation. Now, Jesus talks about this, about being freed by the truth in a, in a pretty heated conversation he has with some Jewish followers in John chapter 8. And so we're going to kind of go around this whole chapter a bit, but we're going to start our scripture reading with just a couple of verses on kind of the center point of what he was talking about with them. And that is in John 8, 31 and 32. It says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, You are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This truth that he just put out, it it is an amazing claim. Let's not for a moment think that, you know, this was just another ordinary teaching. Jesus just said, if you are really my disciple, okay, which he is differentiating, there are those who will claim to be his disciples, but they don't abide in his word. They don't believe him. They are false disciples in that sense. And he says, but if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And if you are my disciple in that way, what you learn from me will completely revolutionize your life. It will set you free. Let me tell you, there are a lot of people in this world that are enslaved and they don't know it. There are a lot of people who claim to follow Jesus that are enslaved and they don't know it. There are a lot of people who have been born again. They've accepted Christ as Savior, but they've not yet engaged the truth at the level that they're going to experience the freedom that comes from that truth. And so they're wondering why their Christian life isn't amounting to more. They're wondering why they're not more effective in their Christian walk. And yet they've neglected the very truth that will set them free. You see, there were some conditions to this discipleship that, that Jesus attached here. He said what? He told us there's an unbreakable connection between being his disciple and abiding in his word. So, whereas when we accept Christ as Savior and we are born again, we are justified in that moment. The word justified in scripture means we are declared not guilty. The charges against us and our sin are dropped immediately. Okay, so that's, the, that's the, the amazing, powerful part of salvation that happens immediately. The instant we believe in Jesus Christ and we put our faith in him, God says you're not guilty, charges dropped, you're a new creation, boom, that's over. What begins at that point is the process of sanctification where he makes us more like Jesus where we grow and become disciples of Jesus. That does not happen automatically. And a lot of us want it to. We think if I just worship enough that I will change and I will become someone else. And yet, there's not really a word here about being free because of our worship in this. He said it is by abiding in his word that this freedom shows up. And so there are three things here that we're going to look at. is One, what is abiding in his word? What is knowing the truth? Because he said you will know the truth if you abide in his word. And then what does it mean to be free? What kind of freedom is he talking about? So let's talk about to abide. To abide in his word. To abide is more than an intellectual agreement with the word. And we got to get that out there right now because there are a lot of, there's there's just a lot of temptation to want to say, oh yeah, I totally agree with the word of God, and, and it's there, and we'll intellectually assent to it, and that somehow that's enough. That's just the beginning point. Okay, that is us coming to Jesus and him saying, Hey, let me tell you this, you're like, cool, I agree with it. There's still the follow-through aspect. There's still the we have to adapt our lives and our hearts to it. And so, yes, we have to agree with it intellectually and we have to study it in a sense that we can grasp it, but that's just the beginning steps. The final steps are obedience in which we adopt it as literally our way of thinking. And you see this process at work in the disciples' throughout the ministry of Jesus. There are many times they've learned a lot of stuff, but they're still not quite there. And they don't really get there until the Holy Spirit comes down upon them and and illuminates their minds. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, now we know what Jesus was talking about. Wow, this makes sense now. And they go from being ineffective in their witness, ineffective, frightened, and and confused, to suddenly, you know, Peter is preaching to thousands of people and 3,000 people are saved on the day of Pentecost and the authorities are threatening them, and they're like, hey, do whatever you want. You want to whip us for preaching? That's fine. You do what you got to do. We know we must speak of what we've seen and heard. And they rejoiced that they were found worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. Now, that's being set free. But we have to engage the word at that point where we have to put the time in. To abide in his word means that it's a place that we live. We don't just reference the word of God to help us in a sticky situation. Now, who in here has ever had that hard moment where you're like, oh, I know the Bible's got to say something about this, and you really have a hard time finding it in the moment. You know why? Because the Bible's not just this like go-to manual a lot of times that'll just get you out of your latest crisis. In fact, we, there, there are scriptures in there in Proverbs that basically says God will hide the truth from you in that moment. If you're not willing to engage it in the good times and, and make it the foundation of your life, that if we only turn to God in moments of crisis and that's it, he's like, I'll hide. I won't answer. Because God wants our heart. He doesn't want to just be the answer when things are bad and then we ignore him when things are good. He wants our heart all the time. And so the idea of abiding, there's this quote by D.A. Carson that I just loved as I was studying. It said, a genuine believer remains in Jesus' word, his teaching. Such a person obeys it, seeks to understand it better, and finds it more precious, more controlling, precisely when other forces flatly oppose it. It is the one who continues in the teaching who has both the Father and the Son. The more we love Jesus, the more his word will become a part of our lives. The more it will guide us, the more it will define us and define the world around us, define the world for us. It will become the filter through which we see and interpret everything. And so, in life, to abide in God's word means that fads are going to come and go. Now, we have church members that have been very active church members for many years. How many fads have you seen come and go in the church world? What could we say abides throughout all the fads? What does it always seem to come back to? Are you doing this? We can come up with all the different ways to do it. We can come up with all the different ways to study it. and We can come up with all the different things. But at the end of the day, what matters is are we following the Word of God? That's it. And so fads are going to come and go. Programs are going to come and go. People are going to come and go. What remains is the Word of God. And God even tells us this. In Isaiah 46 through 8, it says, A voice says, Cry. And I said, What shall I Cry. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Forever. And there's always a movement out there. There's always a movement out there to try to change the word of God, to try to tell us that it doesn't really say what it says. You know what? Those movements come and go. Guess what? The Word of God still says what it says. There's always an attempt for people to say, well, the Word of God, you know, the Bible means something different to everybody. No, it doesn't mean anything different to you than it does to me. It may apply differently in your life, and we're going to talk about that right now, but the meaning is the meaning is the meaning. And the true disciple of Jesus Christ allows the Word of God to say what it says and adjusts accordingly. It is the false disciple that tries to alter the Word to fit another narrative. And that's this argument that Jesus is in with these these Jewish believers right now, people who, quote, believe Him, and they're false believers, but they're people who claim to believe Him. They don't have room for the truth in their heart right now. They They do not abide in the Word of God. And so one of the things we have to realize is that what Jesus has spoken to us is absolutely foundational truth. It has to be the beginning point of everything. The Word of God has to be the beginning point of every decision in life, of everything that we can do. We we try as best we can to bring every thought, every action in line with the Word of God. Now, there's a basic truth to this. A basic reality is if we don't know it, we can't do that. And today there is too much biblical illiteracy. And I mean that. And I'm not throwing stones. But if we want to be free and we want to be a people that are empowered by the Holy Spirit and able to know light from darkness and and witness in this world with power, we have to know the Word of God. And yeah, it's work. This just doesn't just happen. There is nobody, okay, in this world now that when we get saved, God just pours the Word of God into our brain and is like, there, you got it now. That's not how it works. What he does is he has some preacher, some other Christian come and say, Do you have a Bible? And you say, No. And they say, Here, start reading it. And they go, I just, I, man, this is confusing. Yeah. Because it's shaking your world up. Of course it's confusing early on. Because you're learning what you thought was up was actually down. And you're learning what was you thought was left was actually right. Because the Bible starts setting things straight. And as it starts setting things straight, you've got conflict going on inside of like, man, it's cognitive dissonance right now. It's hard. But if you persevere, the truth begins to emerge and you start to see what God has done. You start to know the truth. And you find that anchor point that you're like, hey, the word of the Lord will never change. This is true now, it was true then, it was true when God created the world, and it'll be true when God comes back, when Jesus comes back. It will never change. And so Peter himself latched on to this when he quotes that Isaiah verse that I just, just read. In 1 Peter 24 and 25, he says, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And then he says, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. What is the good news? It's that Jesus Christ died for your sins on the cross, was raised again on the third day, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. That is the foundational starting point for everything in life. Everything whatever you're facing, it doesn't matter. Go to the cross. You will find a path to the truth through Jesus Christ and His Word that will apply to whatever it is you are facing. Whatever it is. And so to abide in His Word is to understand the permanence of God's Word, especially in the midst of a world and a life that are temporary. Where things change constantly It is so comforting to know that the word of the Lord will stand forever. God is not going to change his mind. If God spoke it, it's true. And it doesn't matter if the entire world comes against you and tells you that it's wrong. That God didn't mean that. If God spoke it, it's true. You can bank on it. And the truth will win in the end. It will win in the end. And so we have to come to treat the Word of God, to abide in the Word of God, as, as the psalmist said in Psalm 119.105, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It won't tell you everything that's coming down the path. It won't unlock every mystery of the world for you, but what it will do is make sure that your foot has stable footing to take the next step. It will show you the path that you should be on and how to walk on it. And it will illuminate it one step at a time. And that is safety. And to abide in his word means that as everything changes around you, you don't pay attention to the shifting sands. You pay attention to the permanence of his word. That is what it means to abide. To abide in his word is the exact opposite of using it as a crutch just whenever we face a crisis and we need God to fix it for us. We have to learn to rely on his word ahead of time, to study it, to learn it so that when the crisis hits, we have something to draw from in the wellspring of our lives, of our heart that we've stored in there that can come out in the crisis. And so... He tells us to abide in it. And he says, if we abide in it, we will know the truth. Now, this is where this discussion gets interesting in John 8. Okay? Because what, what has happened is he's talking to a big group. Jesus is talking to a big group of Jewish people. There's a group of them there that believe him. They're like, yeah, we're with him. We're with him. We're not talking about his true disciples. This is kind of a, a crowd. And then there are the opponents. They're the Pharisees, Sadducees that are over there, you know, pointing fingers at the other side. And so it says he told the ones who believed in him. Hey, you'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. Abide in my word. And he tells them that. And then he tells them, though, that they are slaves to sin. And they're offended by it. Which shows immediately they don't know the truth. Jesus has just told them the truth. They don't celebrate the truth. And so they start, no, 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 wait a minute. And he tells them, no, you're you're of your father the devil. He literally tells them that. So you know these Jewish people at that moment were, like, really impressed with that statement. If they can't accept that they're slaves to sin, they're really going to appreciate being called children of Satan. And so this is where this conversation now picks up, okay? Verse 39, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Now, like I said, this whole discussion gets very heated, and they literally try to kill Jesus by the end of it. They want to kill him, and it says he just passes through because his time hadn't come yet. And so supernaturally, the Father was protecting him right here. But this entire disagreement happens because they don't know the truth. They are literally enslaved to sin, and when that's brought up to them, all they can do is lash out. Now, think about that. To know the truth is to recognize it when you see it. It's being willing to accept it. Even if it's unpleasant, truth is a force all on its own. And so to recognize the truth of Jesus is to put your faith in his life, death, and resurrection, be born again, and thus be free from the bondage of sin. The opponents of Jesus proved they didn't know the truth. Because rather than rejoice that they had learned the truth, because he told them, he says, You're a slave to sin, and and a slave has no permanent. But he says, if the son sets you free, you're free. And he's telling them, I'll set you free. I will set you free from this slavery. And they are so offended that he called them a slave that all they can do is argue. Now, the hard thing on this is all of us have been those people at one time. How many of us have ever, like, really argued for one side, and then, like, maybe even, you know, years later, you're like, hmm yeah, that's an embarrassing moment of mine. I was wrong. I thought I was right. <laughs> Turned out I wasn't. And now I know exactly what these people were feeling. Because I, I just knew I was right. And I wasn't. You see, truth has a way of coming back around again and and, and surfacing. And so the entire argument here is instead of hearing the truth about their own spiritual condition, they just closed their hearts to it because they wanted to be reaffirmed in what they already believed. And Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you'll know the truth. Well, how many times do we think that truth is going to be pleasant? There will be moments where it'll be awe-inspiring. We'll learn truths about God and God's, you know, our view of him will expand and God's love will become real. We'll learn truth on that. There are going to be amazing moments where we're going to be like, God is the most awesome. This is amazing. And we're going to shed tears and our heart's going to be broken. And then other times God's going to be like, you're a sinner. And we're going to be like, hey, that's, that's getting a little too close to home. You're meddling in my life now. Leave me alone. I didn't hurt anybody. He goes, I actually did. What? You know?" And, and we, have to have, we have to welcome both of those moments into our hearts and we know we are, and this is where it's interesting because they say, we have Abraham as our father. And he says, no, no, Abraham is your father. Because if he was, you'd do what he did. Now, so what was it? He said, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. What did Abraham do? This is simple. It's easy. He believed God. That's what we find all through Scripture. It says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, when it says he believed God, what did he believe? Well, he believed him enough to do exactly what he said. Hey, Abraham, I know this is where you live, but I want you to go live somewhere else that you don't know yet, but I'll show you, so go ahead and move everything and just leave. Okay. Everybody pack up. We're leaving. Where are we going? I don't know. God's going to tell me. How many of y'all would handle that well right now? You know, wives, your husband comes in and says, we got to leave. God told me we're leaving. And I'll sh- Where are we going? I don't know. He'll show me when we get there. He just said, set off this direction, and he'll show me when we get there. You cool? And yet, that's what Abraham did. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He believed him when he said, hey, I realize you're 80 years old, but you're going to have a son, and the entire world going to be blessed through your offspring. Cool. Okay. I believe it. 20 years, 75, he heard that. 25 years later, hey, you're still going to have a son. Okay, well, I'm 100, so that'll definitely be a miracle. But my wife's 80, but if you say it, I believe you. You see, he was happy to engage in the things that God told him to do. He just had this kind of blanket trust when God told him something, and he's like, cool, I'm good with it. Now, you can read the story of Abraham. He wasn't perfect. It wasn't about him being you know, absolutely perfect and everything, but it was just when the chips were down, when God spoke to him, he believed it, and he was freed by that. It was just like, ah, I just I'm just gonna trust God with this. Hey, go sacrifice your son up on this mountain. Yeah, okay. It's kind of weird, God, but okay. Actually, it wasn't weird in that day because child sacrifice was a normal thing in all the pagan religions, and so Abraham was probably thinking at that moment, like, well, you know, everybody else does it. I guess I'll go along with it and. Hey, if he gave me this son at this age, he can raise him back up from life. And we're good. I trust God. Of course, when they get there, God stays his hands. Don't harm the child. I didn't, don't, don't do that. But you see, he was willing to believe. And that's what Jesus throws back at him. He says, Oh no, if you were children of Abraham, if you really had the faith that Abraham has, you'd be doing what he, you would be rejoicing right now because the very God you claim to serve is standing right in front of you, talking to you but you want to kill me. And I love that statement. That's not what Abraham did. And so he says, if you are Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works of Abraham. And then in verse 43, he says, why do you not understand what I say? And he says, it is because you cannot bear to hear my word. And there is so much truth in this. If we are not followers of Jesus Christ, if we are not fully committed to the truth, the truth will be too heavy for us to bear and we'll reject it. See, I believe that Christians should be people who can handle the truth of a situation better than anyone else in the world. Simply because we are children of the truth. It's not that we, you know, are better in some way or whatever. It's just that we are children of the truth, and when we recognize truth, we can say, yes, I can accept that. However hard it is, whatever difficulty it brings into my life, I can accept it because it is truth. And that's good enough for me. I can accept the truth, and, and that's why he's telling me. He says, "Look, you can't even bear. It. I'm telling you, you're slave to sin. I'm also telling you, I'll set you free, but you can't bear it. You're just not willing to. You're not willing to hear it. They're so dug in and convinced of things that the truth cannot get through the the, the kind of shell that they've created of self righteousness around them themselves." We as children of truth, that should never be. The truth should have absolute access to our hearts. And the ability to know the truth is directly related to our relationship with God. The more we walk with God, worship God, and study His Word, the more the truth becomes a part of who we are. And it doesn't happen all at once. It, it doesn't. It's it's progressive. God builds, and he builds, and he builds. And you'll have times of I'm reading God's word, and you just kind of read and read and read, and you're like, I don't notice anything happening. I don't notice a change. I don't notice a change. God, what are you saying to me? He's like, hey, just keep reading, keep reading, and you can go through years of this. Just keep reading, keep reading. And then one day, bam, God's like, hey, you know the truth. And you're like, I do, and he shows you. And you're like, yeah, how do I know that? He's like, because you've been studying my word, and you've done it faithfully. And it has become a part of you because the word of God is living and active. And it affects changes in us when we don't even realize it. And when it it does it just little by little by little that over time, if we are consistent in God's word and we make it a part of ourselves, it literally becomes a part of us. It changes our heart. It changes our thoughts. It renews our mind. It changes our focus. And so that's why he says in verse 47, whoever is of God hears the words of God. Whoever is of God hears the word of God. See, becoming a, a student of Scripture is like this repeating loop of we, we learn the truth, the truth frees us, and in our freedom we seek God more and we learn more truth and the truth frees us even more and it just kind of repeats itself over and over and over throughout the rest of our life. And it's not that we learn new truths. It's that we learn how to apply those truths in new ways as we grow. You know, a person that's 20 years old and just out of high school and in college is going to read the Word, and there are truths that are going to stick out to them. And when they're 40 and have kids and a job, those truths aren't going to change. But you know what? They're going to recognize other truths too now. As responsibilities of life, as experience, as everything happens, as their walk with God is deepened, they're going to be like, you know what, I, I used to think this way and I, I still agree with the Word of God and what He said there, but I realize how much deeper it is now. I realize how much more God has to say to me. And we kind of look back at ourselves and are like, man, I thought I had it figured out now. But man, I've really learned a lot here and I look forward to what God's going to do in the future. And it's not that the truth ever changed, it's that we changed. And so whoever is of God hears the words of God. And so I want to ask you this, do you celebrate the word of God in your life? And I mean that. When I say celebrate it, like there should be very, you know, there should be like this inner circle of things that truly capture your heart in this world. I really believe that. And I think the word of God needs to be one of If you're married, your spouse needs to be one of those that captures your heart. Uh, Okay? The Word of God needs to be something that captures your heart. That you're like, no, I can't imagine my life without engaging it, without it being a part of who I am. I, I hunger for it. I want more of it. I want to understand it. I want to walk in it. I want to know the truth. And too many people don't get there. I know people, unfortunately, that have attended churches for years and yet they just don't read the word of God and they'll come and they'll worship with passion. They will lift their hand and they mean it in all sincerity. I'm not judging that. They they mean it. They are praising God and, and they love God and yet they, it is clear they are thrown back and forth by life because they don't have the truth anchoring them at every turn. And so they're always, you know, they need more worship and they need the and and everything when the word of God is what they're lacking. And if they just had the word as a foundation, it would free them. But they aren't willing to put the time in to make it a part of who they are. The Bible is almost like an accessory to their life instead of the foundation. And that's where it brings us to the last thing that he said was that we would be free. And being free does not mean that we are free from all deception in the world or that all the problems of the world go away. It means that we have the truth to meet them head on. It means we'll recognize them for what they are because the Word of God will guide us. Being free means that when we hear that sin is a part of our lives, we don't respond like the Jewish people did, his opponents did in John 8. We respond, well, then God have mercy on me and free me from this. Because what did he say? He says, hey, the Son will set you free. We have the scripture in, in, in 1 John. You know, He is faithful and just. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we will confess to him, he is faithful and just. He will cleanse us. We have the promises of God over and over, and so instead of resisting the Word of God, when the Word of God convicts us and tells us something needs to change, we just simply thank you, God, for showing this to me. Thank you, God, that you've justified me, you've forgiven me, I know I'm forgiven, so now I can just move forward and I I can be set free from this rather than continue to live within it. You see, there are some things that it frees us from. And one is it frees us from self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is one of mankind's biggest problems. And and I mean that. And when I say self-righteousness, you know, we can a lot of times get like these extreme images of a person who, you know, thinks that they clock in just under Jesus and the holiness scale. And I think that's our own way of kind of separating ourselves from it because, hey, I'm not like that. Self-righteousness can look as easy as, oh, it's not that big a deal, I'm fine. Are you? What if you're not? How would you know if you're not? Unless you allow the word of God to allow sin to be sin and a clear look at ourselves of where am I at in this. And if the Bible says it's sin and I'm convicted, then guess what? It's sin and I got sin in my life. I need to confess it. I need to move beyond it. I need to give it to God. Now, that process happens without condemnation because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but it still needs to happen. It's a process that has to happen, and and being freed by the Word of God, by abiding in the Word of God and knowing the truth, being freed means we are freed from self-righteousness. It means I'm free to know the truth about myself. You know what? What does the Bible say about me? It says, my heart is deceitful above all things and desperately ill. It says that I am a sinner in need of grace every single day. And if I can just truly accept that about myself, then I'm like, hey, God, thank you for everything. And yeah, when there's sin there, I'm not surprised. Because I know what the Bible says about me. I know what it says about my heart. I know what it says about sin. And yeah, I get it. That's me that it's describing. And I don't have to be offended, I don't have to push back against it. I can just rely on God's grace. And say, God, thank you that you gave your son to die for me. And that this sin does not define me. Because your son does. See, we're freed from it. We are freed from self-righteousness. Also, we will be free from the deceptions of the world. The world is under the influence of the prince of the power of the air, Satan. And he will continuously be until Jesus returns. Which means we are going to live in a world of deceptions. How do we know those deceptions? Weigh it up against the word of God. What's he trying to deceive us against? The truth. And when we use the word of God to interpret the world in which we live, we will see where Satan is lying to us and we will see what is true. That does not mean we are all knowing and that we can make a judgment on every situation that the world ever presents and that, you know, we are infallible. But it does mean that God is going to be there to guide his people through this life. And three, and this was a big one. We will be free from the consequences of falling for that lie. You see, when Satan lies to us, he has a goal in mind. Anyone know what that goal is? To get us to destroy ourselves. That's it. His goal is to destroy the people of God, to destroy humanity. He hates us, and he wants to cause as much death and destruction as possible. And yet what he does is he gets us to destroy ourselves. Adam and Eve, hey, you should eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they'll lie to us, but did he force them to eat? No, we're going to talk about that tonight. It was a choice. He gets us to make choices against our own self-interest and then laughs at us and accuses us on the other side of it and says, ah, you're so stupid, I can't believe you did that, and God, you see how bad they are. He is the accuser. He is the deceiver, and he is the accuser. He's the deceiver before you do it, he's the accuser after you do it. But if we abide in his word and we are free, then we literally are free from the consequences of following that lie because we won't self-destruct. You see where I'm going here? We won't self-destruct. we will like, hey, God's word says this, and I'm going to stick with that, so I'm not going to do that. And so we have this promise in Psalm 91, 3 through 8. It says, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. Verse 7, this is important. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. What he's saying is that the people of God will watch as the world self-destructs and they'll sit back and say, I'm not doing that. The people of God will be secure. Now, it doesn't mean that destruction is never going to happen. He says, what? You're going to watch it happen. You're going to see it happen in this world. Though 10,000 fall at your right hand, he says what? It won't come to you. And that is for the people who make God and God's word their abode, where they abide. If you will abide in the truth, you will be free, and that even includes being free from the consequences of self-destruction, because you won't self-destruct. You'll recognize the lie for what it is, and you'll reject it, and you'll be free then from the consequences of that. Now listen, that may sound like it's not a big deal. That is a huge deal in this world. That is God's protection over you in every way. And so, my final challenge is today is to become a student of Scripture. Become a student. This isn't something that, hey, I took a Bible class once or I still, you know, I read the Bible once and, and that, yeah, I learned some good stuff. A student is a person who makes studying a habit. It's a way of life. And if we become that student, then we turn the corner and we start learning the truth. And the truth sets us free. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for today. And God, I thank you for each person in here. God, I thank you that you have given us your word. God, help us to become the people you want us to be. Help us to become that student of scripture and prayer. God, that we would learn how to engage your word. That we would make that commitment to engage your word in meaningful ways regularly. God, there's a lot that vies for our heart in this world, God. I pray that you, you help us to make the right choices to give our heart to that which brings the most spiritual profit. That which brings us closer to you and glorifies you the most. That which matters. God, I pray that as, as many may be starting a, a journey and really learning scripture, God, that you bless those efforts and that they see the truth in, in new ways. That their lives are affected and they experience that freedom that you promised. God, help us to persevere in your word. To see it for what it is in the long run. And to commit our lives to it. God, it's in Jesus' holy name we pray.